Seamus is coming, I forgot a couple of announcements. Those uh, backpacks that we've been gathering together, do we need to say anything about them? Okay, so if you brought stuff for the backpacks that are going to some of the street, the street children, um, uh, yeah, get talk to Lynn, okay? And then secondly, at the back, we also want to focus not just on, on getting over the Christmas season, but giving. And at the back, there's two uh, big um, pieces of paper. Uh, we, along with the congregation prior to us, Calgary Community Reform Church, they are, we're putting together a gift package or of, of some sort for a, a First Nations family that they have a contact with. Uh, if you can donate to any one of the items that are listed, please uh, feel free to mark it down. Jay? Okay. Seamus? And uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 39. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers to the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have, great, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked at me to take away my reproach among the people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, uh, in, to the hill country to a town in Judah. Typically, over the Christmas Advent, I, I usually don't go through the Christmas story. And this year I thought, I was going to go in a different direction, but last week I thought, you know what, let's, let's, just, let's just take some time in the first two chapters of Luke. There's a lot of riches in here. And so this morning as we embark on this sermon uh, and the season of Advent, as we prepare for Christmas, it's my prayer that our minds and our hearts um, are, are expecting the coming of Christ. Not in some, I guess, in some sentimental hallmark way, but um, that, that as, we, as we're looking forward to uh, his, his second coming, and as we look at Luke, that there'd be a profound transforming, maybe a heart-changing, a heart-captivating thing that's going on in us that's moving us from consuming to giving, that's moving us from gloom to joy, from ache to, to gratitude, from pain to worship. That's my prayer. And so let's, let's begin the study of this text with the word of prayer. Lord God, um, as Seamus read these words, uh, they were words that Luke recorded, but your Spirit moved him to record those words. And Father, we pray that your same Spirit would take this, these same words and would ignite them in our hearts and our minds, uh, and in so doing, change us. So Father, um, would you do a good work among us, even this Christmas season? In your precious name we pray. Amen. To help grapple with our text this morning, um, what I'd like us to do is just think through four threads that are we woven through this, this text. Now, I think there are other threads in this text that kind of hold this together, but I, I think these four threads uh, are very helpful for us to begin to think about the text, and I think they're very helpful for us to, as a way of looking at life. And so the beginning, the first thread that I see throughout this text is uh, God's hand in history. You might have noticed as uh, Seamus was reading in verse 1, Theophilus is this guy that, well, Luke is talking to Theophilus. He's writing this letter to Theophilus. We don't know who he is. Sounds like he's important. But 
Luke is writing these things. He's talked to eyewitnesses. He's, uh, he's looked at the accounts. He's carefully recorded these things. And he says, as he's doing it, he says, I've compiled a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. He doesn't say, I've compiled the things that have happened. He says, I've I've compiled the things that have been accomplished among us. There's a difference. He's speaking to somebody has has made this happen. Of course, the text is making it abundantly clear that this is God's hand in history. First thread, God's hand in history. A little later, we see subtly that uh, our author is saying this again. Now, while he was serving as a priest, this is Zechariah, verse 8, before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, what's happening there is Zechariah was part of the family of Abijah. Abijah was one of the 24 units or 24 groupings of priests that would have their season every year where they would serve in the temple. And it happened to be Zechariah's turn. Now, once in their lifetime, they would have this incredible opportunity to go not into the the Holy of Holies where the high priest would go once a year, but every day a, a priest would go into the holy place right next to the Holy of Holies, and there they would burn the incense in the morning and in the evening. This incense was about the size of a jug of milk, a big four liter jug of milk. And they would burn that in the morning and the evening. We're not told when Zechariah went, but this would, be his, this would be his only time in his life that he would do this. And we're told that they were chosen by lot, by dice. They would throw in and go, it's your turn, Zechariah. It's, it's your opportunity. According to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16, 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The Jew would have understood that when that lot was cast, this was God's plan for that person to go into the temple at that very moment. See, God's hand was accomplishing history, was doing his work. We see this again in verse 19. Gabriel, who the great angel who stands in the very presence of God, we're told he doesn't just come, but he was sent. God sent him. He's on a mission. God's hand in history. Our author wants to see us see that that the world that we see is 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 not just happenstance. There is an author, there is a creator. And just that simple thought that we see not just woven through these, this, this, uh, these 38 verses that we looked at today, but literally woven through the Scriptures themselves should bring us incredible comfort. You know, as we're looking at our little, our little world, our little families, and we see our problems and our struggles, and we're going, we get anxious, don't we? But God's hand is at work. 
And when we, when we tend to look a little bit higher, a little bit above everything, we, we start reading the news and we're going, I don't want to read the news. We, want to get bur- we bury ourselves back into our little problems because the news shows that the problems are literally even bigger than that. If we begin to read about the Donald Trumps and the Justin Trudeaus and we're going like, well, this is a mess. The Lord wants us to look beyond that, and there's, there's a reality, there's a creator that's a, there's an author. His hand is accomplishing something. And that's what's happening in the beginning of Luke. Luke just doesn't simply tell us what has happened. He tells us what the Lord is accomplishing or has accomplished. Those are important words, don't don't simply brush them aside. We often think that our world is, is simply the consequences of random events, or maybe we think they're the consequences of our terrible choices. But ultimately, what's going on is because God is at work, even when it's hard to see. Secondly, I want you to notice the thread of the human ache. Did you catch that as we were reading the story? On the very surface, uh, the, the Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're old. The, uh, Elizabeth can't have children. She wants children. We're told in verse 7, right up front, that they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Verse 13, but the angel Gabriel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And then a little later, notice in verse 25, she's now pregnant. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And so she literally hides for five months as she's pregnant because she's there's a shame and there's a disgrace because she hasn't had a child. When the baby's showing, she, she, she comes out in the open. But shame and disgrace is in, in that context, in that world, uh, to not have a child for a woman was, was a disgrace, was a shame. But that isn't so much the case today, but I think if we take a look at our life uh, and our world, there, there are things that, that do cause us ache and do cause us pain. And it's fascinating to me that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they desired a child, but did you notice how they would respond? Verse 6. What did they do? They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. God didn't answer their prayer. They were now old. It looked like they weren't going to have children, and yet they trusted God. That's significant. Sometimes when we have aches, pains, going through the great difficulties in life, rather than seeing the hand of God, we, 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 we think we become bitter and angry and we go our own way. Elizabeth and Zechariah trust the Lord. But did you also notice in verse 7, they prayed. No, not verse 7. No, somewhere in there. You've noticed that. They prayed. They, instead, of, instead of 
covering up that shame, instead of, um, they, they turned their eyes to him. I think that's significant. And so on the surface, we see this, this ache, this pain that this, this family, this couple are dealing with. But there's a deeper pain, ache, that, that Zechariah and Elizabeth are dealing with and that the whole multitude is dealing with. Because the reality is, Zechariah was called that one time, that one event where he goes into the Holy of Holies, where he offers up the incense to burn it. And when he does that, he's lying prostrate on the ground, praying for the people, praying that their sins would be forgiven, that God would dwell among them. And did you notice the text? While he's doing that, burning, it was the hour of incense, we're told, while he's in the temple of the Lord, verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So you get this picture, there's anticipation on the outside. People there are praying. It's not only Zechariah and Elizabeth who were faithful, trusting God, but there was a nation, a many, many in the nation. We're looking for forgiveness, that we're looking to the Lord for help. That we're looking for their sins to be forgiven. The very heart of our, our brokenness, our problem is, is our sinfulness. Well, that leads us to the third thread that I think is important. We started with God's hand in history. We moved to the ache in, in, in the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah, also our lives. But finally, we moved to this third thread, God's kind answer. This is really where I want to park. Thank you. Not that I need this, do I? Or do I? Maybe I do. But, but, but what I want you to notice in this thing, God's, God's incredible answer. First off, notice the what. God answers with a child. He, Zechariah and Elizabeth are looking for a child, and, and God gives them a child. Well, that's just a gift. The, the other answer is to, to Mary. Mary's given a child. And I think that's a direct answer to Zechariah lying prostrate in the Holy of Holies and the people outside, the multitude praying. It's a direct answer for all humanity who's constantly wrestled and ached and cried out to God. He, he answers with a child, and, and each of those children are miracles. First, the, the first one, old and barren. 
The point is, it was impossible. The next child is really impossible. Born of a virgin. Not only once, he says it, but he says it twice. And he uses different words. The second time, literally, he says, uh, or, or it's actually Mary who says, how can this be? Because I've never had sexual intercourse with a man. The bottom line is, this is impossible. Impossible. And God's answer, Gabriel's answer, with God, all things are possible. Now, you might struggle with, over the years I've heard people go, born of a virgin, come on. Swallowed by a fish, come on. But if there is a God who created everything out of nothing, then the fish and the virgin, those are easy. And later, if there is a God who, 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 who allows his son to be butchered upon a cross, and three days later he's risen from the grave, never to die again, if that's possible, and history tells us it is, being born of a virgin is nothing. Impossible. God's kind answer was a child, particularly Christ. But notice the who. Look how he describes this child. Starting with Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's interesting in verse 15 and on, he begins to tell us, for he, this John, this child will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Did you notice as you're going that for the Lord, to the Lord, before the Lord? John's job, John's, John's calling would be to go before God comes, to prepare the way for God. That was his job. His calling was not about himself. His calling was about Jesus who was to come. Now, as Zechariah is hearing this, I'm sure he's beginning to remember the things he was taught in Sunday school. Probably their context, Saturday school. Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. It was one who was going to come that would prepare the way for God. Isaiah says something very similar. Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. Everything up to that point in Isaiah it seemed to be, Israel, you are going to be judged. You're going to be taken off into captivity. But then in chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her ache is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. And she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. 
This is John's calling. God is coming to prepare his way. So as we think of the prayer of the multitude and we think of the prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth, I think they're not only praying for a child, but they're praying for the coming, the coming one. And, and God answers with, with their son John. And God will answer with Jesus Christ. Look at what Gabriel says to Mary. In starting at verse... Um, 37, I believe. Sorry, verse 32. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary would have heard this. And she would have went, she would have been just, not only was she told that she would give birth to a child when she had not known a man, but she was be given birth to this child. Now every phrase there is significant. He will be great. John the Baptist would be great in the sight of the Lord. Jesus will just simply be great. No qualifiers. Not only that, but we're told that he will be great and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. That phrase, you might remember that last week. Melchizedek was a high priest, right? Of the Most High God. It's, it's a unique phrase, but it speaks of his supremacy and his majesty. This is sounding like God, or at least the Son of God. This is deity. Verse 36, and behold, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping ahead again. And, he, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. This is the promise of 2 Samuel chapter 7, what God said to David, what the Israelites had been anticipating now for a thousand years. Mary's going, my child? My child? But not only given the throne of David, but he will reign forever, and his kingdom will be without end. This is, this is the promises that we find in Isaiah chapter 9, Micah chapter 4, verse 7. Mary's mind must have just been like overwhelmed. I'm, I'm going to have a child, and, and he is the one that we've been waiting for? Me? can it be? God's kind answer. His kind answer. Notice the what. Notice the who. But also notice the how. She's wondering, how can, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, verse 34. In 35, this is not, this is not pagan myths that we find in, in, in Greek mythologies where gods have sex with humanity. This is, this is not that. This is very distinct. 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you in the power of the Most High. There's that word again. Will overshadow you. That's the same language that we find in the book of Exodus when, when Moses sets up the tent and, and, the, and, the, and the Spirit of God hovers, overshadows, covers, fills the tabernacle, the tent. God's Spirit is with them. That's the same language. And isn't that how he greets her? You have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. Isn't that the language we read in John chapter 1, verse 14? Where beginning it says, in the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, literally tabernacled with us, set up his tent beside our tents. It's not only the fact that there's a child, but who is this child? And how will this child be born? This child will overshadow. This old child, this child will become one with humanity. This child will dwell among us. None other than Emmanuel, God with us. You see, our hearts, our hearts, there's, there's an ache in our heart, and yet God's gracious hand is at work doing his thing and ultimately he is answered if we turn to him and we cry out to him we look to him we pray to him there's a final thread I want you to notice and that's just simply joy what strikes me about Luke and you're going to see this later as we go through these uh, couple chapters is, is Luke can't he doesn't have the language to describe the joy that this Jesus will bring. In, in one verse, as he's talking to Zechariah, he does something interesting. He was at verse 14, I believe. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He just doesn't simply say, yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna be happy. He says, you will have joy, you will have gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Remember the multitude outside praying? They're included. According to John chapter 17, we're included as Jesus prayed for us. And you will have joy and gladness. That second word I want to draw your attention to because every time it's used in, in the Scriptures, that, that, that particular word speaks of joy in God or joy in what God accomplishes. That's a significant word. So it's not just being glad, but it's being glad in the Lord, being glad in what the Lord has accomplished. And just in case, if you go scan down a little further to verse 19, he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news the, that word good news is used ten times in the book of Luke every time Luke uses it he doesn't use the noun form he uses the verbal form and so in your translation it says bring you good news 
That's all one word. And I think Luke does this on purpose. You see this message that he's giving him, these these events that are about to unfold that he's passing on to them, he's not simply saying, I kind of like, I don't know if you've been reading the news this week, but this past week, uh, the three leaders, Mexico, U.S., and Canada, they got together, they signed that that, uh, trade deal. Hopefully that's going to have some positive impact for the rest of us. Hopefully there's something good that comes out of that for us. Kind of that's, that's kind of the gist. What he's saying here is something stronger than that. Not only is he just saying, here's some events that are going to have some positive impact on you, but he's consistently using this phrase, good news, as this, this, this news is, is active, it's powerful, it's, it's moving, it's, it's transforming. It will change for those of us who, like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary, put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so at this Christmas season, this is we're just skimming the surface. These 38 verses, we could go on for another hour, but we won't. But did you notice God's hand in history? Did you notice that Yes, Elizabeth and, and, and Zechariah, there's an ache, there's a pain, there is for us as well. But God has a kind answer. His name is Jesus. And when our trust and our faith is in this Jesus, in the midst of our ache and pain, he gives us joy. My, my hope and prayer is that this Christmas season that we'll just be captivated overwhelmed by God's kind gift let's pray Lord um, this is an incredible story but it's also history Luke carefully spoke to the eyewitnesses Luke carefully looked at the sources that had been already recorded and Luke carefully recorded them in an orderly manner so that Theophilus and so that us, we could have a certainty about these things. Thank you. But Father, as we read the story, I pray that we just don't hear what we read when we were children, but Father, that we'd be overwhelmed by what you have done, what you promised, and then you accomplished it. And in light of that, Lord, we can look ahead with great certainty what you will do. And in the midst of our struggles, there can be great joy. Father, may we be a people filled with joy, not because we have stuff, but Lord, may we be filled with joy because we have you. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you, I pray that you would graciously and kindly help them to see their need for you. Christmas of 2018, Father, would you fill us with joy, with gladness? Would you fill this multitude and the people that we have influence over with rejoicing? In your name we pray. Amen. Each week we gather around the table to stop and pause and remember that God became flesh and dwelt among us. 
But not only does he just simply dwell among us, he, he died in our place. He took upon himself our sin so that we, if we turn to him in faith, will receive his righteousness. And if there's been a place in the time in your life where you've turned to him and said, Lord, I, I, I trust you. I, I know what you've done for me. I know you became a man. I know you gave your life for me. I know three days later you rose from the grave. And Father, I'm placing my confidence in you that you're, what you've done was enough to make me right with you. Then you're welcome to join us. If that's you, please come and join us. We do it different down here. We just walk down the middle of the aisle. We gather around. We take a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup that symbolizes not only his death, but the fact that his blood was shed for our forgiveness of sins. And we do that together. So come with somebody. But you're welcome to join us.